Let's uh, begin reading in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24. For the context, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil." Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Why don't we pray before we start? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that the intention of your word is to bring life. And we see that in our Lord Jesus. The word made flesh came to save men from their sins. And we rejoice in that, Lord. We we look to you. Thank you for it, Lord. Grant us understanding. Grant us to obey your word and to take to heart those things which we see in it. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your gentleness, and your mercy. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time... um, Martin, I believe he left off in verse 32, but uh, he was skating then, and I, I thought I would uh, pick this up in verse 31. 
particularly because um, I've seen this much in the life of many people, including myself. And because of that, when I started to study, I thought uh, I would just deal with this, but I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't get away from it, particularly because it spoke to my own life, perhaps way more than any of these things that have preceded us, um, lying, uh, anger, stealing, corrupt communication, all of those negative things um, that we are to put off. And of course, Martin got to the heart of it when he said that uh, the gospel is not one of suppression. That is, you are angry in your heart and you suppress that and you smile at the person and say, basically, I like you when you really hate them in your heart. That is the gospel of suppression, which religion can do for you, but it falls woefully short of what Christ can do in someone's heart. Because he came to change your heart, not your behavior. Of course, when your heart is changed, your behavior changes, but God works in people that way. And when I got to that uh, section... I, I started to dig into that whole thing about bitterness. <clears throat> bitterness is like a wheel. It's the hub. And you could say the, uh, the things that come off of that hub are the spokes. Uh, There's many illustrations, um, and the scripture uses them, which we'll get to. But um, the spokes are spoken of right there. Let all bitterness, and the spokes of that are wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. It says, be put away from you with all malice. So the... To use another illustration, bitterness is the parent and the children are those other things. Anger, wrath, malice, evil speaking. Now it isn't um, so apparently obvious in, as there's different degrees of bitterness you might say. Some people... um, they might be bitter in their hearts, but for they might be just bitter at one person. They might be bitter at life in general. They might be even bitter, I thought of this one this morning, at somebody that they have never met. And I found that, yeah, that's, that is quite possible. And it exists. Um... You might ask why. Some people can be bitter at our prime minister because he has hurt them financially. They've never met the prime minister. And they will speak evil of the prime minister. 
And they'll even be angry at the prime minister and go and protest and yell and scream. And yet they have never met the prime minister. So people can be bitter at someone they have never met. And bitterness, the reason why the apostle says, let all, not some, but all bitterness be put away from you. Now we know that the remedy ultimately is the Lord Jesus, but he is speaking to Christian people. The context of the book is Christian people. It's possible for Christian people to become bitter. And that bitterness can poison you and other people around you. And for this reason, it is a a serious thing. Now, the word bitterness in Scripture is often used of bitter circumstances and doesn't necessarily indicate that anyone is bitter in their hearts towards somebody else. One illustration of that is in uh, 1 Samuel 1.10. And Hannah, which was in bitterness of soul, and prayed and wept sore. She was in bitterness of soul because she was childless. And she cried before the living God. But it's not that she hated anyone or had malice toward anyone or angry words or anything like that. She was in bitterness. And she turned her heart in the right way. She responded to difficult circumstances and, if I could say, hurtful circumstances in the right way that she wouldn't, it, the bitterness wouldn't become a poison to her. But if you don't respond rightly to difficult circumstances, to challenging circumstances, to things that people do to hurt you and the things that life does to hurt you, you will become bitter. And that um, can poison you and other people. <clears throat> Let's turn to Hebrews. There are dire warnings in Scripture in regard to this thing of bitterness. <clears throat> now, there's five warnings in the book of Hebrews. You might say they become increasingly severe in the nature of those warnings, in the rhetoric of those warnings. And you could study those out for yourself. Um, But let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is the last of those warnings to those that, uh, these Hebrew people that had received the word of God through apostolic witness, both of miraculous signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And they had uh, joined themselves to the church and had been cast out of the synagogue. But now the pressure is getting great, and some are in danger of going back to the law, going back to the synagogue, and leaving off their trust and belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And that's the context of the book. 
itself. <clears throat> and let's start reading at verse 14. That's 12:14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Mentions two things, peace and holiness. This two broad topics that would describe a person. He's at peace with God. He's at peace with other men, even though they may be fighting against him. Christ was at peace with God. He'd never done anything to any man, and yet many people were fighting against him, seeking to kill him even. And they were successful, so they thought. And it says, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. A dire warning, if you don't see holiness and you see peace in someone's life, that is peace with other men even though they may be at war with him, but he's not at war with them. It's a dire warning that you will not see God. You'll not go to heaven, to put it in clear uh, terms. And then it says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I find this amazing. It uh, talks about peace with all men, and then gives an example how that peace can be disrupted, and that's through bitterness. And then it gives an example of... um, a lack of holiness. It gives the example of that, a fornicator or profane person, and it goes on to talk about Esau. So we're going to leave that one aside. We're just going to deal with uh, this thing about bitterness because it particularly speaks to our subject. I always look to the dictionary for definitions and... When, you, when I looked under bitterness, its uh, definition was angry and unhappy feelings resulting from accumulated anger over perceived, that's important, perceived, or real injuries caused by others or by negative life circumstances. I may have added my own uh, in that definition because there isn't, it, I didn't get it from the Oxford I'll read that again. Angry and unhappy feelings resulting from accumulated anger over perceived or real injuries caused by others or by life circumstances. Again, if you respond properly, then you won't become bitter, but many people do not. And it accumulates in their life. And then uh, it gushes forth in bitterness. Looking diligently. This is something that I thought about it. Hmm. Yeah, I would say everyone has the opportunity in their life to be bitter. 
I didn't say they become bitter. I say you have the opportunity. You're, you are provided with the temptation to bitterness. <clears throat> because it, if somebody injures you, no matter whether it's a stranger, whether it's someone you don't know, or whether it is uh, someone very close to you, if someone injures you by their words or by their deeds, you have opportunity to become bitter. And that is just a fact. You might not even think of it that way. But the passage before us, it describes um, be angry and sin not. Neither uh, let the sun go down upon your wrath. So there is a bitterness is kind of like that. You've let the sun go down on your hurt feelings or whatever. And then you don't deal with it. If need be, you haven't gone to the person, or if it's a life circumstance, you haven't dealt with it properly, and you've, it's settled in your heart, and then it happens again, and it happens again, and it happens again, and it happens again. And uh, if you don't deal with it properly, it says, looking diligently. This is something you need to be watchful for because it can come into your life. It's like a child, and we've all uh, seen this. If you're living with a child, you don't notice them growing. But someone else who is outside of the house sees them a year, two two years later, and they said, wow, you have grown. You're thinking, really? Uh, And you don't notice it when you're with them. Um, And that's what bitterness is like. It can start, and the scripture will go to that, uses the illustration of a seed or a root. Roots underground, and you don't notice it. But then it springs up as a plant, tiny little at first, can be so insignificant And then it grows, and it grows. And then it produces fruit. And the fruit here is bitterness. And we've noted what those fruits are. Anger, wrath, malice, etc. But it's like that. It's like growing old. I didn't go to the mirror one day and boop, all this gray hair popped out. It popped out slowly and you notice that when you see a photo oh I didn't know you had uh, hair that wasn't gray Uh, yeah I used to have (laughs) believe it or not I used to have hair that wasn't gray but it came out slowly uh, and then before you know it wow uh, you're you're looking at the hairs that aren't gray as the, uh, the pepper in your head Um, But that's what it's like. It happens slowly. Wrinkles, the slow degeneration of the body. It happens over a number of years. And bitterness is like that. And you need to look diligently. Watch, keep it out of your life if it's not there. And watch that it doesn't come in. Especially when you've been hurt or injured by somebody else. Or by circumstances. And as I said, people can be bitter 
at life, they can be bitter at God because they have been fooled that God is against them and that he is causing all of these things. It's very common. So we've looked at the cause. The cause is a failure to respond to real or perceived injuries properly. And those can be, you can be bitter over things that have never happened. You've just perceived that they've happened. Somebody has said something to you, you've taken that the wrong way, you've gone away, and you have become bitter over something that somebody never intended. And you could have gone, cleared that up, or you could have just forgiven it, um, but you don't, and you go on. Um, So what are the signs, if I could call it the symptoms? You go, if you've got a disease, you suspect something's wrong, you go to the doctor and they give you tests. And before you go to the doctor, you may have some symptoms. You have whatever might be, some pain, you've got this, you've got that. So you go to the doctor and he tells you, you've got this or that disease. So the symptoms, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, but um, in reading it uh, on the subject, I got on to reading secular literature about, because unbelieving people, people who couldn't care less about the Bible, know that bitterness will poison someone and, and other people. So they recognize that fact, And so there is much literature on it. Why? Because there is many bitter people. And they uh, recognize it's bad for you. And then they have written much on the diagnosis of bitterness in someone's life. And for that reason, I was amazed. Honestly, I was amazed at how accurate the world is on diagnosing bitterness, but how bankrupt they are for the cure. (laughs) And they realize they need a cure, and usually the uh, cure is is either insufficient or it doesn't have the right source. Ultimately, it doesn't do the the real curing of the soul. So these are the symptoms, and then It's a matter of degrees in different people's lives. Remember that. Number one, anger. It may be subtle, but it's there. You are angry, irritated person. And then the next, um, these are by no means in way of order, but... They may or not. Anger is, yeah, pretty well up there at the top of the list. Uh, evil speaking. You, you can see how this would work. You get hurt by somebody. Rather than going deal with it or deal with it properly, you start to go and talk behind their back about it. Happens all the time. Gossip. Complaining was almost the top of the list of a bitter person. They just they complain about everything. Um, backbiting. 
This would be under the word gossip, but you're going specifically to talk about somebody else. They've hurt you, and you're going, and rather than dealing with it, you go behind their back and try and gain sympathy from some. Do you know what someone did to me? I've done it. Someone hurt me deeply. I was angry, and the first thing I did is when I talked about about it with someone else. And I just vented my anger and frustration with this person. And I felt justified in doing so because they really did hurt me. But, and I can't remember what was said or they just listened and, and, um, and then I told the story again to someone else. Can you believe it, what this person did? And I think I might have even told it a third time. (laughs) One of the marks that you're bitter is you complete, tell the story over and over again. Sometimes looking for sympathy, sometimes because you've been really, really hurt and you're just bleeding. But it's not the right course of action. And I thought I forgave the person. And to some degree I did. And then I was at church one day and a brother got up. He didn't know what I was going through or anything. And he says, "Um, if you've truly forgiven somebody, you'll just forget about it. Yep, he's right. (laughs) He is so right. I was bringing this up again and again because somehow I just thought, yeah, and their apology wasn't enough. I wanted more. I just, I wanted you to be groveling on the ground. Because this really hurt me. Oh, it was just so sore. And what a, yeah, I should have just let it go. Forgive them. But that's how it can be in your life. And, and it was, yeah, release when you... Forgive somebody because of what God has done for you. Strife. It can work strife in your life. Constant bickering and angry with other people. Whispers. This is from Galatians. Whispering. Did you hear? Oh, I can't believe that person did that to me. Oh, yes, I, I, I know. And you want agreement from others. Whispers, false accusations. Somebody that's been hurt by something and they've never gone to the person, and then they can, they can develop a false accusation. They just never did that, and then they'll go accuse person of something that they never did. But you can be a- angry about a false accusation or make up false accusations. Malice, this is in the list in Ephesians. Continual irritability. Wow, this one really hit home for me. I just, yeah, just irritable for no reason. Just, and I thought, okay, I got, I'm a, I got an irritable personality. If things are out of place or whatever, I'm just, you know. But really, there's no reason for it. Other than, yeah, I'm maybe just kind of bitter at this situation, and then I just, or this particular person, and, um, 
Yeah, just irritable. Blame. Blaming others. This is near the top of the list. I'd say right after uh, anger, blame would be right there. Never taking responsibility for the situation yourself. And you always blame. They did this and they did that. Yeah, but the issue is now that you're bitter. And that's the issue. The issue isn't what someone else did to you. The issue is that you're bitter. Because you remember, you can be bitter at someone you don't even know. So, yeah, I just had to start to see these things. It's taken me, you know how long it took me to get this down? That it isn't what the other person has done. It isn't. It's about you. And you're the problem. <laughs> if you're bitter, you're the problem. Yeah, but... but uh, no, you are the problem. And it's taken me 58 years to get that down. Sorry, yeah, I'm a slow learner. Start to realize that, no, this isn't about them. This is about you. And that's that. And the sooner I came to that realization uh, and stopped blaming the other person, I'm angry because you're doing this. Now, we don't want to be irritating. None of us do. But we all can do stuff that irritates other people. And But the issue really is just about you. And blame is the like, right up there. Right up there. I know. I've done it. Blaming others. <clears throat> Unthankfulness. Just... Yeah, and then, because bitterness clouds your vision, and then you can't be thankful. You can't see afar off, you think. Everything is clouded by bitterness. And then, of course, the list goes on. No joy, and you, negative, just a negative person. No idea how much that convicted me. Negative person. Yeah, I call myself a, a realist. Uh, and yeah, there's a place for that. But negative. Those are the symptoms of, and you might see a greater or lesser degree, but all of us, you can see the opportunity because we all get hurt in life and then you can become bitter. And in Hebrews it says, <clears throat> sober warning, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Fail of the grace of God. You, the grace is there not to be bitter, but you can fail of that grace. And then go on. <clears throat> Lest the, any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. You can see how people can be defiled by this. Because they go and talk about with somebody else and then they side with that person and the next thing you know, you've got a bunch of people and it starts gossip and backbiting and just go, that's, it's an incredibly powerful force, negative force in the church. Seen it in many people's lives, including myself. 
and shouldn't be surprised. I wish it wasn't, but I have uh, sought to cast it off and to uh, forgive. The cure, everybody loves to hear. This is the cure, and it's available to all people. This is wonderful. It's wonderful. In Deuteronomy, or in Deuteronomy, I didn't write down the scripture, but I thought I did, but I, I don't think I did. Anyway, in Hebrews, there the, um, he alludes to uh, it's in Deuteronomy where lest there be any root, um, and basically the root of bitterness springing up, uh, producing gall. And wormwood, and then it goes on to talk about idolatry. And um, yeah, it's a serious thing. If and you can see how it affects others through those things that we have talked about. <clears throat> Deuteronomy twenty nine eighteen. Yeah, let's go to that. That's. Uh, I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. Deuteronomy 29. Because much of the apostolic literature is, is rooted in or based on um, the Old Testament. <clears throat> okay, verse 18. Deuteronomy 29, 18. Lest, it uses even that word, lest... There should be among you a man or a woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. Gall is a bitter thing. It's the secretion of the liver and it's bitter. And wormwood is a plant or a tree and then it starts as a root and then it develops into a tree and the fruit of it if I could say that is bitterness and thus it uses that idolatry springs up in one person and then it goes to a family and then it goes to a tribe and eventually as we know we read the Old Testament the whole nation is swallowed up in idolatry And if we don't, that's why the writer, or Paul says in Hebrews, looking diligently to cast this out, to uproot it. And I have seen this on my own property. I had this nasty vine that's in my garden. And I hired a girl that's very diligent for cleaning and and I got her to dug, dig out the whole front garden. I thought, I'll get you out of there. Cast all the dirt and then put all new dirt in. Look back and guess what? I, could, uh, I think I needed her to dig the china to get the root out. And there's some other plant on my front of my ugly plants. Spongs up this one big stalk with this ugly flower. And... 
unless you can cut that thing down to the ground. I even started to dig out the roots, but I didn't get all of them. And guess what? Still there. You could chop that thing down, but the root is still there. And I told my wife, give it up. Someone told me you can get a thing called root rot to get it out. But that's it. But it's, it's the root you've got to get at. And unless you get that root out, it's going to spring up again. Bitterness is like that. This is the cure. <clears throat> and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's it. It seems so simple. And this is exhortation is to Christians who have been forgiven by God of every single sin that you've ever committed. The horrible and abominable things that you don't want anybody else to know. And the lesser things that you maybe confess publicly. God has forgiven every single transgression. And then someone does something to you and you don't forgive it. And you don't forgive it. And you don't forgive it. And you can become bitter. <clears throat> Imagine if God says, okay. Because some people think that, yeah, if they come and confess to me, then I won't be bitter anymore. Try that with the prime minister. He's not coming to confess to you anything. I'm sorry. He's just not going to do it. People that are bitter at the Prime Minister, I see many people bitter at the Prime Minister. So that isn't the issue, whether they come and confess to you. It helps in a relationship, and the closer the relationship, the better, then you need to work those things out. But going down through the list, imagine if God said, well, let's see now, you've committed 6,632 sins, and we need to go down through the list, and you need to confess all those. Uh, can you imagine the burden of, you know, you'd just be like collapse. And it isn't that we trifle them and we weep and cry. And God says, yeah. the, the thief on the cross, he didn't say, yeah, I told you before. Why, how did you get in this state anyway? He didn't do that to the man. He just said, today... You'll be with me in paradise. He didn't even bring up. How, how did you get? He didn't even bring that up. He just forgave it. Right there. He saw the man's heart. He saw the tears, the regret, everything. And he just forgave it. And that's how God has forgiven you. He's forgiven you freely without any merit of your own. You didn't bring something to the table. You didn't say, well, Lord, okay, I'll, I'll pay for half my sins. No, you can't pay for one sin. And you've committed, David said, more than the hairs of my head. They've gone over my head. I just can't even deal with it. That's how Christ has forgiven you. Forgiven you freely, no merit of your own. Fully, he didn't hold, he didn't, there's one, one sin that he didn't forgive. Freely. And he's forgiven you liberally. Many, many Many sins. Then Peter comes to the Lord and says, 
Peter, um, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? <laughs> and the Lord says, unto seven, seventy times seven. It's amazing. The cure is complete. When you are forgiven by God, you can forgive anybody anything. But if you don't forgive, then you can become bitter. The scripture puts it this way. Turn to Colossians chapter uh, 3. Colossians 3. Many parallel passages in Colossians. Colossians Now I've lost my uh... Oh there it is okay Colossians 3:13 <clears throat> Forbearing one another and forgiving one another there's forgiveness gives an example if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do ye Quarrel is a, uh, a complaint against somebody else. Someone's done something to you and you've got a complaint. Forgive it. That's it. Sometimes you've got to go and deal with it, but sometimes you can't. The person isn't going to acknowledge it and you just forgive it. And that's how easy uh, it can be. That's how God forgives you. <clears throat> so these things, uh, and yeah, it's taken me years to understand that one fact. Um, it isn't other people that's the problem. It's myself. That's it. Let's go back to the text, Ephesians So showing kindness to somebody else is manifest particularly in forgiving them. That's why it says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and hath given us and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Again, the passage surrounds about... Uh, in Colossians, it divvies it up really nicely. It talks about all the bad things you need to get out or keep out and all the good things that you need to do. In Ephesians here, it mixes them up. And... Um, But we're to be followers uh, of Christ Jesus. We're to look at him. We receive the grace of God as Joseph 
pointed out that scripture, to walk in him, to live like him, as he is, or so are we in this world. That is, these are both are an example and our empowerment, because in ourselves we are powerless. <clears throat> Walk in love. We've heard much about this, but it will always bear repeating. Just, it's the, um, the, the core of the gospel. The stamp or the image of God in, in people is love. And not the love that you see in the world. That loves you one minute, and the minute you do something, they're gone. Or they are no longer your friend. That isn't the love of God. <clears throat> the love of God can love even his enemy. He's proved it to us because we were his enemies. While we lived in opposition to him, he still loved us and he still uh, he died for us. <clears throat> so that whole um, mention of a sweet-smelling savor is from the Old Testament. When offerings were given, uh, it mentions a sweet-smelling savor. Whether it was an animal that was sacrificed or whether it was bread and wine poured on the the fire of sacrifice. But the, the, the significance of that, I don't know what you think, but a burning animal and the flesh thereof wouldn't really smell nice. But the issue with God is, is that the obedience and the picture that he has showed is what he is pleased with. And that's why it calls it a sweet-smelling savor. So that's where that uh, imagery comes from. And Christ's life, a perfect, holy life, and he offered himself up on the cross for your sins and for mine, was a sweet-smelling savor to God, an aroma that went all the way up to heaven, and God was pleased with that sacrifice. So much so that there isn't any other sacrifice that God will receive for sins. What time is it? It's not one o'clock, is it? Oh, 10 to noon. I thought, wow, have I been preaching for an hour and a half or two hours? So the exhortation is to imitate God, imitate Christ. And we're to do it in two ways. To love, love the brethren, love unbelievers, and to love holiness. And those are the two marks, you might say, of every Christian. Those are two marks. Love, love for the saints, and love for God, love for even their enemies. That's the mark. And holiness. It says that in Hebrews. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. 
So the holiness that God is looking for is not just an outward holiness. It's inward. And he does that, as we've said, by cleansing the heart. Now, you do have to battle. It isn't that, oh, now there will be no temptations in my life. We've seen that in um, just the illustration of bitterness, how it can come in. And the exhortation is given to Christian people to reject these things and cast them out. And then it goes on to some negative things. You could say unholiness. It says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Fornication is uh, relations outside of marriage. In the culture of Paul's time, it was very common. People would uh, be involved in that as a matter of course. It's just growing up. Um, And our culture is becoming increasingly that way. People um, are fornicators and they don't even think about it. They live together, they have children, and they live as if they are married, except they are not. Um, That is, in my parents' day, it was a scandal for a woman to get pregnant out of wedlock. A scandal. And you would be scandalized, you would be embarrassed, you would be hid away. It was an embarrassment, and you were embarrassed, if you know, if you were the person doing it. Now, people don't even think about it. And that is uh, the way it was then, and it was very common. Paul even exhorts believers not to join themselves to a prostitute. (laughs) As if you would have to be told that, but to be exhorted not to do that. That's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? How could you join that to a harlot? And yet that was an uh, exhortation. We would be, really? Yeah. <laughs> People would have to be exhorted not to do that. <clears throat> the next is all uncleanness. And that would be of a um, uh, sexual nature. Um, things that would stop short of immorality, but they would still be uncleanness. And we have that in spades in our culture. You just have to look at your cell phone if you want to. You can have that available to you. And that's uncleanness. Cast it away. If your phone causes you to sin, cut it off. Get a different phone that cannot access the internet. It's easy to do. Used to be much harder to do that, but now it's very easy. People can do all kinds of evil in their living room. You can gamble. I saw a commercial. You can gamble in your living room. It said, bringing Las Vegas to the entire United States. Isn't that fantastic? 
And people can destroy themselves through covetousness. That's what gambling is. Covetousness in their, on their cell phone. Incredible. The destruction that is reeking on the, on the core of our society through these things. Uncleanness and covetousness. That's what's right here. Covetousness. Gambling isn't a disease. People say that. Oh, the rush and everything. Yeah, it's a rush because you're covetous and you go in and some people blow all of their money, destroy their families. It's incredible what people will do because it's, they're like prisoners. They are prisoners to sin and they cannot say no to these things. It is on, it's in our society more than ever before. I am convinced of that through technology and the advent of the cell phone, the smartphone. Stephen down there, and he, he says people shouldn't have a smartphone. I'd say, brother, everyone's going to clamshells. There's no big screen and something that you can text on, but for many people, they just cannot handle a cell phone for good reason. I'm with the conservatives. Chuck the radio out the door. Um... Yeah, it's a very drastic measure, and it's very inconvenient. But if you can't handle it, get rid of it. It's that plain. It says, let it not be once named among you. And what he means by that, it should never, ever occur. But we know... Unfortunately, even in the scripture, it occurred. We see Paul having to deal with it and then telling people, he says, when I come, he says, I know that there's going to be people that have indulged in these things and have not repented. He says that at the end of the book. It shouldn't even be once named among us. Did you know that brother so-and-so, I don't even, you don't even want to mention it, fell into immorality or fell into this or that sin. And yet, uh, we're exhorted to cut it off. Why? Because we are to be like Christ, a holy people, and these things ought to be cut off. And then it goes on to speech. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. I believe these are related to speech. Filthy speech, that seems like, yeah, I, that seems very reasonable. <clears throat> uh, foolish talking, it's getting a little less clear what that might be. Um, and then it says, jesting. And then I, thought, I started to squirm a bit. Um, because you, if you go wrong on this, You can throw a lot of people under the bus that you shouldn't throw under the bus. Or many biblical translations, or say translations, um, translate this word, coarse jesting. So then they would say, it's it's about telling dirty jokes and you shouldn't do that. Uh, I I would agree with that, but I think that's covered under the first statement, neither filthiness. Filthy jokes are just out for all Christians. You never get to tell a dirty joke. 
think we'd all say, yep, I would agree with that. And then foolish talking, that's just unprofitable speech. Probably occurs amongst us, and we need to cast that out. But then it says, nor jesting. And I had to, of course, I spent the the longest amount of time on this word. Number one, uh, deciphering what it said, and then... um, yeah, not, don't want to throw anybody under the bus. If anyone's going under the bus, it's me. Because I can throw me under the bus. I just don't want to throw you under the bus, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> so foolish talking, uh, senseless and idle speech. To put it in the positive, our conversation should be sober, sound, things that cannot be condemned. And the scripture tells us to speak that way. Then I looked up jesting in the dictionary. <clears throat> now I'm using 150 to 120 year old dictionary. And many of the words are referenced. Uh, the, the small version of the big, you know, double dictionary that you got to look at with the magnifying glass. That's what I'm using. <clears throat> Have enough trouble seeing, don't need to use a magnifying glass. But the first def- or the third definition which applied to this word was the idle tale. Just a stupid story. <clears throat> a mocking speech. Now you will find mockery in the Bible. Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. It had its place, but often mocking someone is a is an evil thing. <clears throat> A taunt, taunting somebody. Now you could say Elijah taunted those prophets, but it had its place and it was ordained of God in that man's life. A saying intended to excite laughter, a joke. Trifling sport, to ridicule or banter. I had to look up the word banter because I didn't know what it meant. A tease or in a good-humored way. And, yeah, I've done that. Uh, if anyone is excessive in that, it's me. And I've had to take that and say, yeah, Lord, work in my life. Don't want to be a cause of stumbling in someone else or lack of soberness. To make a witty or humorous remark. Puns. Um, And I just thought, you know, what did Paul, what was he really getting at? And uh, a friend helped me through it as I was just... Yeah, people have thrown people under the bus. I mean, condemned other people. Not getting this right. It's important. I thought, yeah, I could just gloss over this. but um, <clears throat> Think with me. Who hasn't uh, teased a child or, and when I say teased, I don't mean you're driving them to tears or anything like that. Or 
sported with your wife or a friend? Who hasn't done that? Now, Isaac sported with his wife. What did he, he wasn't playing volleyball, right? He was tickling her. He was, they were having a good time. <laughs> so isn't it like that with speech as well? Uh, we can uh, tease one another. Oh, you can be excessive. Just like you could with sporting, you're just never serious. I don't think your wife is just wanting a tickle all the time. She's going to say, ah, that's enough. Right? I mean, we're all like that. <laughs> that's enough. But you don't mind throwing a snowball and then, you know, throwing the ice down the, the cube down their back. And, you know, we've all done that. And then running, screaming while he chases you and then saying, now, dear. When he goes to take revenge and then you say, you're not allowed. I mean, it's all in fun, right? Uh, a natural course of life. Your child does something funny. And how many of us parents, my, one of my children, I won't say which one, because she's not here. Um, she said, wouldn't it be cool if you were born on your birthday? And we howled with laughter <laughs> because she didn't, she never clued in that we thought the birthday was just an arbitrary thing. You know, you pick one of the 365 days out of the year. And she would smile if she heard that story because she said it when she was, I forget how old she was, but she was obviously a child, innocent, didn't even know that the day you come into this world is your birthday. She didn't know that. And she thought it was funny. <laughs> and so did we. There's an example of, and you can tell that story again. It is, it, uh, she can laugh about it, and we can laugh about it. And we're not putting her down. And yeah, it's just a humorous thing that happened. I mean, the, life is filled with all of that stuff. And that's certainly not what Paul meant. Now, if you laugh, you are headed straight to hell, is not what Paul was getting at. <clears throat> and we see that with food, the world um, is just mad about food. It's yeah, staggering. Bad food. And yeah, we'd be doing well to exhort ourselves. Yeah, a lot of food that's bad for you. Ice cream, 24-7. Kids will don't want the broccoli, but they'll take the ice cream. And it's like that with speech. It's easy to be funny and witty and everything. But you've got to be exercised to be sober, to be building each other up. All of those things take exercising. And no pain, no gain. Uh, principle. <clears throat> so, friendly sporting between wife and children and friends in moderation is good and it's the spice of life. The dessert, as it were. Now, if you overdo it on dessert, and our culture does overdo it on dessert, um, I've been in a country where they don't have dessert. And I was, yeah, a bit shocked. Hadn't had dessert for 10 days, and then someone gives me something that I thought was dessert, and I bite into it, and it was as, like, 
biting into a plain piece of bread. And I was shocked. <laughs> but yeah, because we're used to having dessert. But just because we're used to having it doesn't mean it's good for you. <clears throat> Comedies, comedy shows, sitcoms, and the worst of all, Christian comedy. Oh, it just pains me even to think that there is such a thing, and yet there is. And I recall being at Bible college when I was head of the student, the married students, and somebody wanted to have a Christian comedy night. Now, you, this is so far out of our context, but this happened to me. They wanted to have a Christian comedy night. And they said, this is one of the tape of the material that I'll be presenting. And I listened to it, and I was, I, I mean, I was horrified. Jokes about who knows what. Foolishness about the Bible. And I was less gracious than I would be now, let me tell you, in giving that back to him. <laughs> I can't remember what I said, but I, I didn't say, well, brother, again, this is nonsense and sin. I might have said something like that. And it was. It was nonsense and sin. But that's not our context. But it is out there. It is out there. People, they want to laugh. The world wants to laugh. But take the exhortation from the scripture and uh, go to the house of mourning. They laugh to cover up the misery of their lives. Many comedians have killed themselves, revealing thus the bankruptcy of their lives. I could think of a few uh, that I won't mention their names. That's the world. But even in the church, the church, there is excess in this department, in this thing that we ought to pull in. You know, let's get in shape. Because we can, uh, I certainly, and I, you know, everybody knows that perhaps I've been in excess in that. For that, I'm sorry. And I want to do better to uh, exhort to be sober. To put it in the positive, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So says the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> and these things, it says, are not convenient. They're not fitting amongst the saints. <clears throat> but rather, giving of thanks. <clears throat> these are all helpful for us. Um, um, certainly, we want to be kind to one another forgiving one another and if there's any bitterness in my life or anyone else's life forgive it just as God forgave you why don't we pray thank you Lord for your word that brings life and peace and joy we thank you Lord Jesus for what you've done in us pray you'd grow us Lord that we might be salt and light in this world, that we might know how to answer every man. 
Lord, thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, all that you've done for us, Lord. We look to you. We desire to be fruitful. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>